Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, from the Arcadian Court in downtown Toronto. Welcome to the Empire Club of Canada. For those of you joining us by webcast or podcast, welcome to the meeting. Uh, it is my pleasure to kick things off to uh, call up Paul Matisse uh, from the Vice President of Rexall Health Solutions to begin the introduction of our panel. Good afternoon, and uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Paul Matisse, and I'm the Vice President of Rexall Health Solutions. We are very proud to be a lead sponsor for the, this event with the Ontario Retirements Community Association and Empire Club of Canada, the first of its kind for the association. Uh, Rexall Health Solutions has the privilege of working with care providers across Canada in a variety of environments, acquiring significant experience with diverse and integral, commu integrated communities providing a continuum of service and program options with a 40-year history of doing so. As our partnerships continue to evolve with our clients and through collaborative projects, we understand that changes in government regulations, shifts in funding, and staffing challenges means that we all must work together in finding innovative ways to provide additional value and supports for care staff to spend more time with residents and generate improved health outcomes. It is my pleasure to introduce Elizabeth Buller, President and CEO of Scarborough Health Network, who will be delivering a special introduction. Elizabeth brings more than 30 years of healthcare experience, both within Ontario and British Columbia. She is a specialty trained nurse and has served in senior leadership positions for more than 25 years. Elizabeth has served in her current role as President and CEO of Scarborough Health Network since 2017. Please join me in welcoming Elizabeth to the stage. Thank you, Paul, for the introduction and good afternoon, everybody. It is uh, truly my pleasure to welcome all of you to Putting Seniors First, a premier event for the Ontario Retirement Communities Association and the Empire Club of Canada. As Paul mentioned, I'm Elizabeth Buller and I have the privilege of serving as the President and CEO for the Scarborough Health Network. And at the Scarborough Health Network, we are working with our many community and government partners, patients, staff, physicians, volunteers and donors to transform the patient experience and improve outcomes today while charting a new course to create a healthier tomorrow. We know the value of innovative and out-of-the-box solutions and how necessary they are to address the pressures on our Ontario's healthcare system. Catherine the Great said, a great wind is blowing and that either gives you imagination or a headache. Today, there is truly a great wind blowing, and as always, our healthcare system sees it as an opportunity to innovate, to grab the sails and adjust the course. Scarborough Health Network aims to be Canada's leading community teaching health network by transforming care. What does that mean? Well, we have four key strategic directions, and two of them are very key to today's uh, talk. 
to focus on population health and health equity and also research and education. And both have a strong, deliberate focus on seniors and how we support seniors to live, to live their best lives. To support that, we are investing in a renewed, enhanced, integrated seniors program with our primary care and our community partners. We are investing in a comprehensive professional development program for our staff and our professional staff physicians, focusing on healthy living seniors. And we are investing in our Scarborough, Ontario health team with a focus, again, on seniors, including how do we collaborate more deliberately with our partners, providing housing and caring for our senior population, with a commitment on developing more personal, virtual and closer to home solutions. There is indeed a strong wind blowing, but it offers a lot of opportunities for innovation and transformation. And it is why I am thrilled to be here today to hear about ORCA's initiative and innovative policy and their approach to supporting seniors to thrive. It is my privilege and pleasure to introduce Kathy Hachimovich, the Chief Executive Officer of the Ontario Retirement Communities Association. Kathy is a highly regarded leader in home, community, long-term care, and congregative care. She is one of the go-to persons, a solution-focused partner, and someone who is never hesitant to think outside the box. Kathy joined ORCA in 2018, bringing more than 20 years of executive leadership experience in home and community care to the role. But she also has, like me, over 30 years of healthcare experience. How did they sneak that in? <laughs> As a former CEO of a CCAC, Kathy knows intimately the challenges and opportunities facing our healthcare system. Kathy continues to cultivate partnerships across acute care, primary care, long term, and community care to promote greater access, autonomy, and choice for seniors as they pursue the best possible options to meet their individual care goals, needs, and preferences. In addition to all of Kathy's professional accomplishments, she is both a colleague and a friend. Some of you may know Kathy is an equestrian. Her love of horses and passion for riding and jumping inspires me. I have been around to witness Kathy's riding accomplishments and also a few throws from her dear beloved horses, Coors and Waffles. Sometimes they've been serious, but Confucius says what defines us is how we rise after falling. Kathy is passionate about all she does. No horse can throw her off her game. She was always looking for the next innovative and transformative solution. Without further ado, please join me in welcoming Kathy to the stage. Good afternoon. Thank you so much, Liz, for that very kind introduction. Um, I'm renaming myself Cinderella after my little wardrobe malfunction on the way in when I lost my shoe. <laughs> but I am Kathy Hachubovich, and I'm really delighted to see you all here today. Uh, before I get to the formal remarks, many of you may know that the World Health Organization has just declared COVID-19 a pandemic. And I want to really uh, address the coronavirus before anything else we talk about here today. And just to say to everyone that the safety and protection of seniors who live in our communities, their families and our staff who provide the care is our number one priority. 
To the members in this room, we want to express our sincere appreciation for all that you do in caring for our seniors each and every day. We appreciate your support here today, and we want to recognize those staff who are tirelessly working on COVID-19 preparations in their communities and organizations, and some of them could not be here today with us because of that. As this situation continues to unfold, ORCA will continue to be here to support our sector and our teams in providing timely information and resources to promote the safety and well-being of our seniors, staff, and families. We are stronger together, and to that end, we're very grateful to the support from our sector partners, from Long-Term Care, Public Health Ontario, the Ministry of Health, and so many others. Through our collective and coordinated efforts, we are best prepared to deal with the challenges that we're all facing. Now, turning my attention back to the proceedings at hand, I'd really like to take the opportunity to thank our sponsors for today's event. Remedies RX, Rexall Health Solutions, and Borden Ladner Gervais. Without their generous support, today's event would not be possible. I also want to recognize some folks who uh, took time out of their very busy days to, to show up and be here to be with us today. Uh, another good friend of mine, Georgina Black of Deloitte Canada. Georgina, thank you for being here. Susan Derrick of Lake Ridge Healthcare. I know all our hospital partners are very busy these days and we really appreciate your support. Donna Duncan of Ontario Long-Term Care Association, a very great partner of ORCA's. Stuart Cottrell of Bayshore, thank you Stuart. As well, I noticed that Sue Vanderbent from Home Care Ontario is here, and Jay O'Neill from the Retirement Home Regulatory Authority. So thank you all for being here with us today. I, uh, we really do appreciate your support. And Liz, I've had the pleasure of working with Liz for more years than either one of us will admit in public. <laughs> but Liz is an amazing individual and a, a, a truly wonderful friend. When I first uh, became the CEO of the Ontario Retirement Communities Association, Liz was one of the first people I, I reached out to for advice and support. And to say that Liz understands healthcare is an understatement. She lives and breathes healthcare. She's worked in Ontario, she's worked in BC. She's been everything from a frontline nurse up to a hospital CEO and everything in between. So uh, we are very, very fortunate to have people like Liz leading our healthcare systems of today. So, on to um, where we think we need to go as a sector. Thinking differently isn't just a necessity. It's what taxpayers expect and what seniors deserve. As CEO of the Ontario Retirement Communities Association, I can tell you that our members know all about innovative solutions. You may know that we represent 95% of all retirement community suites in the province. Our members care for nearly 60,000 seniors who choose to call retirement communities their home. And we're no stranger to challenges. But we also see the opportunities, opportunities to do things differently. In fact, our pre-budget submission for seniors focuses on how retirement communities can support seniors. Because we strongly believe that retirement communities have a vital role to play in the lives of Ontario's seniors supporting them to thrive today, tomorrow, and always. This commitment to seniors has never been more important. We know that the seniors' population is growing significantly, 
And we also know that it's crucial to enable seniors to remain socially connected and active within their communities because social isolation is a very serious issue. Adding to the challenges that seniors are facing are our issues with hallway health care. In 2019, Health Quality Ontario reported that patients who don't need to be hospitalized are occupying an increasing proportion of Ontario hospital beds as they wait to receive care elsewhere. On, we know that on any given day in this province, more than 4,500 hospital beds are occupied by patients waiting to go elsewhere, and we know we need to do better. We need to combat social isolation, we need to get seniors out of ALC beds, and we need to better support them to thrive. And we can, through promoting congregate living, which comes in a variety of forms, supportive housing, co-housing, and of course, retirement living. A poll that ORCA commissioned through DART C-Suite Communications in 2018 found that 91% of Canadians agree that they do not want to be socially isolated in their later years. Subsequent polling found that 87% of Ontarians over the age of 55 supported providing living environments for seniors that promote remaining healthy, active, and socially engaged. Every retirement community in this province has a story. And I was lucky enough to be on a tour of one of our member communities just a couple of weeks ago where I met Bev. And Bev shared her story with us. Bev moved to a retirement community because her children really wanted her to be safe. Bev is legally blind, unable to drive, and cooking was becoming a particular challenge. But Bev wasn't so sure about making the move. She did, though, and Bev is thriving. She is the self-declared welcome wagon. She's now reaching out to other folks who are new to the community, working hard to make them feel welcome. Her best advice to her fellow newbies is to put themselves out there, talk to people, be part of things. Bev says that there's a lot of kindness in a retirement community and that it makes a big difference. She also says that when her friends come to visit her now, they all wish they lived there too. I love hearing stories of seniors blossoming when given the chance to be part of a community where people care about them, where nutritious meals, care from the same care team, monitoring by healthcare professionals, and receiving regular wellness checks are all part of the norm, where they are supported to be their very best. This is our chance to do something different. It's time to put choice back into the hands of seniors and alleviate unnecessary pressure on the healthcare system. Our pre-budget submission for seniors highlights our solution, a senior services benefit. A senior services benefit is a monthly allowance sent directly to a senior to help pay for their care needs. It supports seniors to age in place in a community setting of their choice. Any senior who qualifies for home and community care services would be eligible. And a senior services benefit requires no new money. Funding for the program would come from repurposing some of the Lynn administered home and community care dollars, allowing the government to spend the same amount of money to care for even more seniors through a senior services benefit. A senior services benefit can also help alleviate hallway health care by providing greater choice and autonomy for AL patients to receive the setting care in the setting of their choice. 
A senior services benefit would enable an ALC senior to purchase home and community care and supports they need directly from service providers or it would allow them to move into a congregate living setting, such as a retirement community, where they can directly purchase the care they need. Ultimately, a senior services benefit offers seniors a choice of where and by whom their care services will be delivered. We know a senior services benefit will help reduce the size of the long-term care wait list by supporting seniors to stay in retirement communities longer. More than that, we need to support seniors to age in place, to make their own choices. We need to keep them healthier longer. A senior services benefit changes that landscape, supports a new normal where seniors are empowered by choice. Similar models are working around the world right now. We know in Germany, Scotland, and Australia all have similar models, and they are all highly successful. It is time to start thinking differently about supporting seniors here in Ontario. A senior services benefit will support seniors to thrive and age in place for longer. More must be done on all fronts to ensure seniors are supported to stay in their communities for as long as possible. We absolutely support more home care. We agree that we need more long-term care beds. We also think we need innovation. We also think we need a senior services benefit. I'd now like to welcome Jeff May from Remedies Rx to the stage to introduce this afternoon's panel. Jeff. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Jeff May. I am Executive Vice President and General Manager of Remedies Rx Specialty Pharmacy. Uh, we are very, very proud to be a lead sponsor for this premier event with ORCA and the Empire Club of Canada. At Remedies, we deliver a safe and efficient drug distribution system to retirement long-term care and group homes. Our very talented team of clinical and operational pharmacists, technicians, and nurses provide solutions that improve safety, reduce risk, and save time, resulting in positive health outcomes for the residents of retirement homes. Our team builds and implements educational programs, clinical resources, and policy guides to help our partners operate at their highest level. Most importantly, our relationship with our home partners is collaborative. Our focus is their business, their staff, and their residents. At Remedies, our tagline is your partner in care. Because we invest in our home partners' success and in the best health possible for the health of seniors in Canada. So this afternoon, building on Kathy's remarks, our panel will discuss changing senior de demographics, the current pressures on Ontario's healthcare system, and the role retirement communities can play in addressing these challenges and opportunities. So I'm pleased to introduce and welcome to the stage, first, our moderator, Jane Tabor. Jane is Vice President of Public Affairs at National Public, Re Public Relations, and our panelists, John Wright, partner at DART C-Suite Communications, Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health System, Michael Lavallee, Chief Executive Officer of Seasons Retirement and Chair of the ORCA Board, and if you'd like to know more about any of our panelists, uh, their full, full bios are available on your tables. Now, please join me in welcoming to the stage Jane and today's panelists. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And thank you, Kathy, as well, for, uh, for your remarks, because it really sets the scene for the, for the panel as we dig in more to, these, uh, to the issues today. And I want to start out with John, the pollster, the pollster in the panel here, uh, just to, to set the scene for us and, and uh, give us a landscape about what the demographics look like. Yeah, I could talk all afternoon on that. Yeah, but he's not going to. I'm not but going just, to. Yeah. My, wife, my wife says I can't say hello in, inside of an hour, so I'll try and keep it brief. Um, you know, on May the 9th, 2003, I gave a speech to the Empire Club on this exact topic. So I've been talking about this now for close to 20 years. And at that time, we talked about the growing and aging population and what was going to be in front of us. And during that week, Danny Coderre, who was the Minister of Immigration, indicated that we were going to have to bring in a million more workers to replenish the workers that we currently were losing at that time. And I then went on to be in the Alzheimer's Society of Canada for 10 years. I've been involved in mental health uh, for many years in a series of other things. And what I keep coming back to is a few things about this topic. Number one is it's entirely predictable, absolutely predictable. You can go to Stats Canada, you can go to their site, you can look it up, and you can become an expert probably in a weekend because you know all the major things. Number two is that it is going to have an effect between 2016 and about 2045. That, that's roughly the period of time we're looking at. 2016 was the very first time we had people over the age of 65 more than those under the age of 16. And by the time we hit 11 years from now, 11 years from now, we will be at the zenith entry point for the final days of the baby boom, 11 years from now. So think back 11 years and then kind of project forward. So Jane, what we have to expect is really challenging. Number one, uh, we are going to have uh, the public move 16% of its population through to about 23 to 24%. We are the only nation experiencing the baby boom that is going to do this in 30 years or less. Everybody else is stretched out over a much longer time. In fact, it won't hit the United States until after 2050. So Canada's first. The world needs more Canada. Number two, 31% um, of us, probably in this room a little bit more, but in our society are looking after aging parents. So oftentimes when you say to a car manufacturer, you should be doing cars that will take wheelchairs, they say, well, older people don't actually drive that much. And you go, it's not for them, it's for me. So we're, we're experiencing it already in other places. Thirdly, it's going to come in different parts of the country more so than others. So in Eastern Canada, it's going to come where Jane's now living out in Halifax. You're going to be seeing a lot more people there mm -hmm. who are older. But I like to say to my own kids who are uh, as late aged as 28 this year, who are scraping through to try and get that first down payment for a house, um, that by about 2045, there'll be lots of homes available for them. <laughs> lots of them. More importantly, it will be presumably um, on a five to one ratio, more women than men. I say to my wife, you want to own the world? Just wait us out. <laughs> Thirdly, the biggest challenge we have is not going to be putting people in houses, but actually finding people to look after them. And this is the collision that we're going to have in terms of technology. Thank God we live at the time we do, because we're learning all these things. Fourthly, and I'll just end on this. OK, good. I was hoping there wasn't a fifth as we, <laughs> but keep going. It's OK, John. Why is this so <laughs> the fourth thing is this. I think it's really important that we look around the world and see what everybody else is doing. 
Um, because, as we would say right now, it takes a certain period of time for elderly people to walk across the intersection. But the reality is there's only one jurisdiction, it's Singapore, which in fact has what's called the Green Buddy system, and you do a swipe card, it gives you an extra 10 seconds to walk across. There are a thousand of those over there. There's none anywhere else. Mm. We need to look around the world, see what the other people are doing, because the demographics are going to be upon us very, very quickly. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. So Samir, given that information, this landscape, the demographics, how does that change what you do and what you're studying? What are you looking at, given what John has just told us? Yeah, so from, from my perspective, you know, first my, my first job is I'm a geriatrician, so I spend my time caring for older adults, both in the hospital, but I love to do home visits and, and work out in the community as well. And that really gives me a perspective <coughs> on seeing what it's like to be an older person, thinking about their choices, um, and also seeing their families. Because as you mentioned, you know, I say that my patients travel with an entourage, usually a caregiver, whether that be a family member, friend, neighbor, um, concerned person. And so you get, this, um, you get this window into what this data looks like. Um, and it's interesting because many folks in the room know that uh, I advise the government of Ontario. We've been doing that since 2012 on its seniors' policies and strategies. Um, and with that policy lens, as you know, as just being said, as we know the numbers, the numbers are actually well laid out. Um, and so I've had the privilege of becoming the director of health policy research at our National Institute on Aging based at Ryerson. Um, and we just, we've been working on the past year on looking at the future of long-term care and these numbers. And one of the studies that we just released, my colleague Bonnie G. McDonald and Michael Wolfson, the former ADM for Stats Canada, they said, we know, we actually know what we're gonna be paying on CPP, old age security in 2050. The numbers are there, we know the demographics, but nobody knows what the cost of providing long-term care is going to be in 2050. Nobody knew that number until a few months ago. Nobody knew what this, this care gap was gonna look like, so we got some numbers. Right now we're spending about 21 to $24 billion public funding and private funding on home and community care, long-term care, everything we're talking about today, but it's gonna be 71 billion in 2050. We know that number now, and that's private and public, okay? Number two, we also know that we are going to have 30% less caregivers, family caregivers available, you know, if we keep the same rate of caregiving in Canada. Meaning that if you are a caregiver, and one in three of you in this room are, we know that, um, you're gonna to have to improve your productivity by 40%, mm. keep what we're doing sustainable. When these houses are empty, we have no caregivers, but we have a lot of older people. So it's, it's the, these are the things that we know about. So looking around the world and saying, okay, what are those solutions? This is where the work that we've been doing in partnership with ORCA, OLTCA, Ontario, Home Care Ontario, et cetera. We've been working with everyone to say, what are best practices around the world? And we have to know some ground rules. Number one is when I ask every one of my patients, if I give a diagnosis of dementia or a person is living with frailty, what is the number one thing that my patients value the most? It's their independence, right? It is their independence, whether that be wanting to live in their own homes, wanting to be in a congregate setting, whatever they want, wherever they are, they want to be independent, they want to be in control as much as possible, and they want their dignity respected. So the question is, the challenge we have right now in Canada is A, we spend very oddly compared to the rest of the world where they've actually been managing their ALC price as well. Um, other jurisdictions where they spend more on home and community care as opposed to institutional nursing home-based care actually have communities that are thriving, that are independent people living as their choices would be. 
So I'm proud that in Ontario, it's the only jurisdiction in Canada now where across Canada, 87% of that public funding is on nursing home care versus 30% on home and community care. In Ontario, we've now actually flipped that. We actually are now about 66% on home and community care versus 45% or so, or 35% on, uh, on long-term care. So we're investing more in home care. The good news is we have more Ontarians now being able to live in their own homes and communities, whether that is, but we need to innovate and we need to find those, those newer models. And there are a lot of good examples out there, but it's our time. Okay, well then Mike, let's talk about that innovation. I mean, you, you are involved in the, in the communities and building these communities. So what, are, what is the innovation that, that you're doing or that you would hope to do? Well, um, so first of all, it's funny because I had this very same conversation <laughs> with my IT guys yesterday. <laughs> I gave them the big goal. I said, find me 40% versus uh, productivity because we're gonna have growth in occupancy or we're not gonna have people to take care of them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's also very interesting that you say that we flip the uh, dynamic on mm -hmm. care. So I consider our role as, as, uh, as the retirement home sector, we're, mm -hmm. we're in a sandwich. We're in a community care sandwich. We're the meat in between um, funded um, home care and institutionally delivered right. uh, long-term care. And we're the private care entity. And those services don't always flow seamlessly across all of these, the, the continuum very, uh, very cleanly. So it is an opportunity for us to really uh, look at the values of congregate living. Because when you think about people that are delivering home care, there's windshield time. There's no value in windshield time delivered to the actual outcomes of delivering care to a senior. The senior services benefit is an opportunity for us to say, okay, you're investing all that money. We're not suggesting investing more but there may be opportunities for you to put a dollar in and remove the requirements for the administrative burden and put that in the hands of someone else that's gonna coordinate and choose where that service is gonna be given. The senior service benefit does exactly that. And this is exactly the same kind of uh, systems that exist, I think Kathy mentioned, mm -hmm. Germany and, and Scotland. And there's actually very uh, high correlation of satisfaction with seniors that are choosing to avail themselves of a service benefit that they can coordinate. So to your point, they have independence, mm -hmm. they have choice. They're still making decisions for themselves. They're more engaged in the actual satisfaction of taking care of themselves. And they're taking some of that burden away from the family members mm -hmm. who are bridging the gap. Right. So if you think about maybe you put a dollar in to the investment from the public's uh, perspective, and through the existing system, you're probably getting 60 minutes or 60 cents right. of direct care put a dollar in the hands of a senior, they're gonna buy a dollar worth of services. Mm -hmm. So the same dollar could go far, far further. <clears throat> the other part that I think everyone should also realize is um, institutional delivered care in a, in a nursing home, it's, it's not a housing choice. It's an acuity-based decision. Mm -hmm. Retirement homes, just like any other neighborhood, are a neighborhood where seniors should choose to live there because there are other reasons right. that they wanna live there. If you go back to the days where we all built our, our nest, we all bought a home, our first home, we made a decision based on where are the amenities that are important to me? Where's the outside activities? Where am I gonna buy my groceries? Where's my pharmacy? Where am I gonna get my spiritual enrichment? All those things created my housing decision back then. Well, as things change 40 years later and my friends are no longer there and I can't make myself uh, fit into the community the same way, now I need to make a different housing choice. What should that look like? I think home care sometimes makes that, um, that ability to make choices that are for myself 
um, it, you're, it's like you're enabling social isolation because we're making that person say, well, stay home if you want to, and we'll help you do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be enriched, that I will have as much activity, I will have as much opportunity to, to congregate with people that are just like me. And so what happens in a 24-hour period when someone doesn't show up mm -hmm. and my daughter doesn't come and see me at the end of the day? That might be a really lonely day. Right. So the golden years turn into the lonely years if we're not careful. So the idea of a congregate living supported right. by an SSB, I think is a very powerful option for the entire community care continuum. Okay, well that's good. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that, John. And I'm gonna put you on the spot a bit, but you know politics. What do you think, would the government go for something like this? I mean, this was the, ORCA put this in their, their pre-budget submission, but you know, politics comes to play in all of these things. And so there's lots of competition in this, this upcoming budget. I think it depends on what government stripe you're wearing at the time. When okay, we're talking about the Ford government, and they would I, I be progressive conservative. Look, I, I think that what's really important yeah. here is we recognize that, that adults can make decisions about where they want to go, um, and that we are going to have to have choices where people are going to want to go, um, either in their own homes or to other different places. Not only are we talking about having a senior's a choice, voucher, if you want to call it that, to take there. But there's going to have to be a whole series of tailor-made things beyond all of that mm -hmm. just for individuals because their own circumstances are going to demand it. So I, I think regardless of what stripe you are in, let's say 10 years from now, you're going to have to be looking at all kinds of options. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to have to be looking at at circumstances that are very tailor-made for different income groups. I mean, honestly, I thought I was doing okay until 48 hours ago. Uh, and, and, you know, you yeah. kind of look at the stock market and you meet your financial advisor and say, I am now dependent upon all of you to work for the next five years. Yeah. But the reality is that that's not just a joke anymore. And we have to take these things into consideration because the choices we make to leave and go on our retirement or whatever you want to say, Jane, are very much dependent on very external things. Mm -hmm. Outside of your own home that you can hopefully cash out at some point, everything else is conditional on other forces. At least those vouchers or those things that you put in people's hands, there's something that's dependable that you can take from place but to place. But given the demographic and the fact that the boomers are now you know, becoming the senior citizens and have a very strong voice, doesn't that, isn't it incumbent on the government to listen? Is the government listening? Is a, is a voice strong enough? Well, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think, well, I think but here, here's the challenge, right? I think part of the work that... Uh, that we've been doing uh, as part of you know, understanding the cost of long-term care and how do you balance this cho choice and affordability is, um, is what's become very apparent in Canada is we have um, a real dichotomy. We have many Canadians that have fortunately retired um, you know, with defined benefit pension plans. They have enough in the bank. They're living on a million-dollar house. But unfortunately, if you're not receiving a defined benefit or defined contribution plan, most of us are not retiring with that anymore. Um, we're finding that the average Canadian, get this, um, is retiring with only $3,000 in the bank. Mm -hmm. Okay? So $3,000 in the bank. So which of you are going to offer that person a space in your home? Mm -hmm. they, they won't even apply because they will only be able to afford one month's rent. So they're completely out. When you then look at our long-term care system, so nursing home care in Ontario, <coughs> for 80,000 people right now, or 100,000 a year through the 80,000 beds, everybody has to pay a copay. You have to pay your copay, which is $1,800 to $2,400 a month. Do you know what percentage of folks in long-term care cannot afford their copay? So the government picks that up. 85 percent. 
nursing home care has become care for poor people in Ontario, largely, okay? If you actually have money, you have choices. And the challenge is right now, the reality is right now is that when I started working with the government in 2012, we were vastly underspending compared to other countries investing in government-funded home care and other alternative services. So I'm really proud that that investment has continued. It hasn't continued at the accelerated pace under the new government. That's a choice, right? And now we have more people living than ever before in the community, which is cheaper than having them live in an expensive nursing home system. But the problem is we have a defined budget that isn't very big and expansive. And I think the challenge is this government recently with the new home and community care legislation made a delivered choice saying, we don't want to just simply carve out money and give it out as vouchers because right now it may benefit some more than others when really the home and community care system, the publicly funded system, the publicly funded nursing home system is really a system for people who can't afford options. Okay, so they're missing, they're missing one, one big segment of this. We could be, yeah. and, th and, th and that's a liability that we have to think about. How do we think about everyone to benefit from a benefit like this or from a much better funded system that will not be a liability for the rest of us? So Mike, how do you see people benefiting from that? You talked a little bit about it mixing the SSB with the congregate living. So, so just expand on that a little bit more. So if you, if you consider, um, uh, your existing home care system. Your care assessments are, are managed by case managers that, and so if someone qualifies for home care, they qualify for the SSB. So the choice then becomes, okay, but is that the best place mm -hmm. for you to receive that kind of a service or benefit? Should it be here or should it be in a different place? If you look at, uh, just take Quebec as an example. They instituted this about 12 years ago. It's a very similar prog program uh, for uh, seniors that live in congregate living. 12 years ago, you had people who had very similar demographics, very similar affordability challenges, and uh, you had a 10% roughly penetration rate or absorption rate for people living in congregate settings. That tax benefit, which is you know between three and $500 a month, uh, moved the needle up to 18, 19%. Hmm. So over a period of time, that, that investment that government made uh, forestalled their investment in institutional settings so they didn't have to build the same kind of uh, long-term care investments and so it was they, they put the onus on private developers to build housing solutions that seniors would want to live in and they helped them with the affordability okay and then Samir you know just a little bit more on the congregate living because Mike also uh, talked a bit about that but you see you talk with you know seniors uh, every day in your practice and, and talk about the social isolation and sort of the mental health you know that comes with uh, being on your own and not having those choices yeah and I think and so this is the challenge right is that you know we've you know as Mike was saying before and John was saying like we created this kind of dichotomy mm -hmm. like it's kind of like right now we're operating in a in a 21st century you know situation with kind of 20th century models. And Ontario is awkward because unlike places like Quebec or unlike places like BC or Alberta, they actually have much more integrated policy and solutions, right? Whereas it's here, it's like we have this retirement home sector that's kind of all left to the private sector where you have to pay for your room and board plus your care on top of that, right? You've got long-term care, which is publicly funded other than your co-pays, and then you've got your government-funded home care, and then there's this whole private market on top of that. So it's a real hodgepodge that isn't well-connected, and it really then leaves people making stark choices, right? So the idea is, you know, if I'm, you know, the, the example of Bev that we heard about or, 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 or Mike's example, is that you know, there are people who might not see anybody in a 24-hour period other than that care worker that might come once a day. That's terrible. 
vulnerable, right? You know, because again, if you're lonely, uh, if you're socially isolated, you have a high degree of being lonely, lonely. One in four Canadians already tell us they don't have a friend at hand who can help them with a basic task, like getting a prescription filled. So people are living really isolated lives. That's why, again, through the work that we're doing on this kind of enabling the future of long-term care, we said, why are we separated everything out? How do we think of it as a continuum? But number two, how do we enable better choices? How do we say for the person who wants to live in their home in their community, think about home sharing, thinking about more adult day programs and seniors active living centers. We've actually, through the government of Ontario, we've increased the number of, of those because one quarter of seniors hang out at these clubs. You know, that's where they like to hang out. So we built more of them, especially in, in, um, in communities that were lacking them. So we tried to figure out what we can do there. We're looking at more innovative policies like home sharing and that. People who want to be in congregate settings, because and there are a number of different models that Kathy mentioned, we should be giving them that choice. But it shouldn't be driven by poverty, and it shouldn't be given by it shouldn't be driven by a lack of options. When we're doing that, that's basically when we're actually really shortchanging not only these people right now, but frankly, we're all going to age, mm -hmm. and none of us like what we're hearing right now. Okay. So just quickly, because we just have a few minutes left, I want to uh, ask about COVID-19. Kathy started her remarks uh, uh, with, uh, with that as well. And John, you've just done some recent polling on that. Just briefly tell us about that, and then we'll just, uh, just talk about it. It depends seniors. on whether you want a headline with a poll or not. So if you want a headline with a poll, you say that 32% of people in this country are concerned that they may catch the virus and that means 10 million people. But if you actually ask, are you really concerned about getting it, you get 5% or just under 3 million adults. So uh, the first press release I wrote um, on Friday before it appeared in the National Post was, while rest of world lights hair on fire, Canada chills. And then I thought, nah, that's not gonna see the light of day. So I did the 32%. <laughs> I, I think what's really important with the pandemic being declared today is that we are all social animals whether it be our family, whether it be I'm going to a hockey game, my son's playing in his varsity final game this afternoon, whether you're in a, an aging home or a school or anything like this, we have to take care of each other and just respect those kind of boundaries. I don't know what, Jane, I, I, I don't know what else you can do mm -hmm. given the circumstance. What I am concerned about though is pandemic fear, mm -hmm. where the same viral clip of Costco's not having enough toilet paper it, it just gets spun and spun and spun right. when, in fact, the, the virus has nothing to do with your digestion system. So, you know, I, I think it's really, really important that Canadians continue to do what they're doing, and that is rely on their healthcare professionals, but also the people in this room that represent the industry. Uh, it's not like I can visit my mom a lot by FaceTime. Right. But the reality may be that we have to consider those more often because the technology is here. One last thing. Okay. And as we talk about how stark the future is, I'm, I'm a great optimist. I wouldn't be talking after 20 years about this sector and not believing in it. But who would have thought that you would have had bicycles running around Toronto five years ago delivering restaurant food? I mean, skip the dishes is just as equally going to be skip the pharmacy. There's, sorry, those who are here, it's just an expansion way of, it's an ideation, and I think we have to grab on to those ideas and start dealing with them now in practical terms, not just strategic terms. Okay, so just, just briefly, Samir, uh, segue from, from what John was talking about and with you know, taking care of people. Uh, the, president, the, the, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, over the weekend talked about don't visit seniors, don't, they're vulnerable. You know, because of coronavirus, stay away from them. And I think you tweeted back at him, or tried to, 
No, I did, and yeah, CNN and did was you? quite delighted, actually. So uh, tell us what you, you know, said. So you know, so it was it was quite funny because the the you know uh, President Macron, who I remind folks is not a medical professional, uh, was in a retirement community in France last Friday and said, "We must protect the elderly." So I beg you to not visit your older relatives, right? Which then promotes social isolation, and then we're really screwed. So uh, so I uh, so. But you know the the key is you know again we're a lot of us are being governed by fear and not facts and that was my point to the to the president I'm sure he read my comments um, and is rethinking his policy statements but but what 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 we remind folks right now is that um, we have an incredibly um, strong public health system in Canada we have incredibly talented public health unit leads um, and 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 we're actually been in a much better position situation than many other countries and I think we should be grateful for that. Um, remind, reminding people that there is no public health guidance to say that you should not visit older people in your life, but what we remind people is wash your hands, right? Um, is your loved one, if they're worried about COVID, have they gotten their pneumonia and their flu vaccination? Mm. You can go to a local Rexall, you know, and get one if you don't have one. And frankly, if you're visiting your mom and dad, have you gotten your flu shot, right? Um, you know, and have you done what you can do to protect yourself? And finally, um, if you're sick, don't go, they don't want to see you. And frankly, if, if they're sick, you probably don't want to see them. So then FaceTime them. Mm. But that's basically what the public health guidance says. And I think, you know, as Kathy mentioned earlier, you know, I've been so impressed to see um, ORCA, OLTCA, um, and uh, Advantage Ontario really come together as three organizations to really galvanize the group, make sure that we have consistent messaging. Because we have to remember, not only are our residents fearful, um, because they're watching the news all day long and talking to each other. But our staff in these homes who are dedicated care workers, they're scared as well. Many have lived through SARS and H1N1, but um, we just have to remind ourselves that there is a lot of fear, but let's use the facts and let's support each other. Okay, and, and lastly to Mike, I mean, just, uh, just build on that. Well, well, first I have to say, who knew that I would ever sit on a panel besides someone who is setting policy for the French government, as well as the Ontario government. Well, they haven't hired indicators. me, they haven't hired me. So. There you go. <clears throat> but, um, so all of us operators have adopted, or if you haven't, you're probably contemplating adopting active screening practices. So our approach is, is a very common sense approach. We're, we're uh, you know, when the outbreak season started, in, in regardless of COVID, um, we all accelerate our, our home uh, housekeeping, mm -hmm. our uh, infection control. We, uh, we do a lot of training, communication, but uh, in addition to that, what we are doing is we're stopping everyone at the door and we're asking four ba basic questions. And if the answer is yes to any of those, we ask them really, mm -hmm. today the day that you really want to show up, mm -hmm. please don't. And, and some of those are, are, are really quite simple. Have you traveled or you or anyone in your household been in any of these countries or been around people that might be suspicious or are, right. are sick or, you know, is this really the best time for you to be visiting? Could you wait? That kind of approach is not social isolation because then we'd invite them to FaceTime or anything else, right? We're trying to keep our home. Um, the, the whole idea is if everyone spikes with an infection, it's gonna take forever for us to get off onto the other side. If we can soften the curve, mm -hmm. this will end faster because we all know that it'll happen. We're just gonna try and mitigate at this point. All right, so common sense. So thank you very much. These guys are chatterboxes, so there's not a lot of time for, uh, for questions. You might be able to get them later. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank our panel, John, Samir, Mike. Thank you very much.
Yes, uh, thanks for a great discussion. In some ways, uh, the Empire Club, if the, maybe if this is your first time coming out, uh, it's been around since 1903 because it's really a simple concept, and that's uh, put some smart people on stage, uh, get into a topic that is of interest to many, and uh, you know provide an opportunity for networking, uh, a little bit of chicken, and uh, and it all works very well. So uh, you guys have certainly uh, filled the bill. Thanks to Kathy and the team at Orca for coming out. Uh, you certainly have filled the bill of uh, being some smart people getting into a topic that matters. So thanks again very much. There are, there are more events uh, coming up in our season. Please check out our, our website. Uh, thank you very much. This meeting is adjourned.